Good evening and welcome to Late City Edition here on WKCR-FM New York. My name is Erica Ghetto and tonight we'll be bringing you a special program from the News Department. Last spring we launched a collaboration with Columbia University's Advanced Consortium on Cooperation, Conflict and Complexity. Each month, AC4 Director Peter Coleman sits down with leaders in peace studies and conflict resolution to discuss their current projects. In this month's edition, Professor Peter Coleman was joined in the studios by Christine Webb, a doctoral student in psychology here at Columbia University. Tonight, we'll hear about Webb's work in South Africa, studying reconciliation behavior in both humans and chimpanzees. Stay tuned. This is Peter Coleman. I am a faculty member on, at Columbia University uh, who studies peace and conflict. Um, I'm a social psychologist by training and I uh, direct a center, um, a teacher's college in conflict and peace and I am on faculty at the Earth Institute. And tonight I have the pleasure of interviewing um, a colleague and, uh, and a doctoral student that I work with here uh, at Columbia who has a very unique background her name is Christine Webb, and she is has a background um, in primatology and um, so studies chimps and primates, um, and has worked with uh, the likes of Franz De Waal, who is a renowned primatologist, um, but has come to Columbia and is studying in psychology and studying the psychology of reconciliation and conflict resolution, um, and so we've had the pleasure of working together for a couple of years now. Um, so. Uh, asked Christine to come and speak a little bit about her work and about how she got into the study of conflict resolution in the first place and how she got from chimps to humans and a little bit of that. So Christine, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. My pleasure, thanks for being here. So give us a little background. Um, how did you get into the study of conflict and was it through chimps or was it through something else? Okay, so I still remember actually one of the first primate social psychology classes that I had with DeWall. Um, who is this primatologist who's been studying conflict and post-conflict behavior in chimpanzees for many years. And one of the first images he put up on the board was of these two chimpanzees in separate trees, and they were holding their hands out to one another in this sort of ostensibly friendly gesture. Mm. And he said that these chimpanzees had just been into a fight, and they went into separate trees. And just after he captured this photograph, they came together in some kind of friendly reunion. And I remember thinking, wow, isn't that cool? You know, it's kind of like human behavior. And so um, that kind of stuck in my mind. And then when we learned about examples of chimpanzee or other primate conflict and reconciliation, it, it definitely stuck in my mind. Um, and then when I come, came to Columbia, the advisor with whom I began working was doing some work on uh, forgiveness, post-conflict behavior, and interpersonal close relationships. Mm -hmm. And so then I started thinking about how I could blend the two together. So Franz DeWall, does, does he do research uh, in the bush, in the field? Does he work in, in, in closed labs or in a zoo? How do, where does he work? How does he work? So he's at Emory University, which mm -hmm. is affiliated with the Yerkes National Primate Research Center. Yeah. And at Yerkes, um, there it's a it's a field station, um, actually just outside of Atlanta, where two groups of captive chimpanzees live um, in these indoor sort of outdoor enclosures. So it kind of could look like a zoo, and that's where a lot of his research on reconciliation behavior has been done. But prior to that, it was at a zoo in the Netherlands, where he's from, um, 
in an even larger enclosure. So uh, Franz Dewal has written a book on conflict resolution amongst primates. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the title of it, but in it he proposes a kind of provocative theory that, um, that in fact the closer uh, chimps are in relationship, the more likely they are to have conflict because their relationship will s can withstand that, and that the the more alienated they are from each other, the less likely they are. And that's, you know, not how we think about it as humans. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think the book you're thinking of is Chimpanzee Politics, and there's also Natural Conflict Resolution, which you edited. Um, and yeah, so the whole idea is this, it's called the Valuable Relationships Hypothesis, and it's that um, animals will tend to preferentially direct their um, affiliative behaviors towards opponents post-conflict, but also towards those individuals with whom they have a close relationship. So kin, closely related individuals, or strongly allied individuals, like in chimpanzees, males tend to form alliances with one another. Mm -hmm. So you see um, a lot of reconciliations there. But curiously, those are also the relationships that are characterized by the most conflict. Sure. Um, and in some ways, you know, I think we, we do see similar things in humans because I fight the probably the most with my family or my, you know, close friends. Sure. Uh, yet at the same time, those are the relationships that are the most worth preserving. Right. So does, does DeWall um, make the link from uh, primate behavior and reconciliation processes to humans, or is that your... Is that your link? So he does. I think in what he taught me and, and what his big message in, in a lot of his books really is, is that, you know, at our core, um, you know, this kind of previous notion of humans as naturally aggressive, like demonic mm -hmm. creatures. Mm -hmm. who Territorial. Are, exactly. Right. Who are motivated um, for conflict and competition is actually is not the right story, um, that at our core we are a cooperative and altruistic and then reconciliatory species. Uh -huh. um, so I think that's sort of how he tells that evolutionary story. Uh -huh. So how did you get from his lab and that research to wanting to study psychology? So I was a psychology major as an undergraduate. Franz is actually in the psychology department mm -hmm. at Emory. And so um, as an undergraduate, I was able to focus a lot of my work in animal behavior while still getting the training in psychology. So actually, um, when it came to applying to graduate schools, I was probably a, a better suited candidate for a psychology program. Uh -huh. um, and I you know, was familiar with some of the work on non-human primates that was done at Columbia, but ended up being drawn to Tory's human, Tory Higgins' Human Motivation Lab. Uh -huh. um, because I just saw it as a really cool way of studying some of the underlying motivations for these phenomena. So tell us a little bit about what, so how, so you've, you've come to Columbia now, you've been here three years? Two, four years. Four years four now, and okay. <laughs> uh, and so you're, you're now working in the area of reconciliation, but still, still working with primates, right? So yeah. you go back and forth between studying human behavior and primate behavior. Yes, yeah. so I have the, an ongoing collaboration with Franz Duwal. Right. I'm looking at a data set that ha was collected over nine years on chimpanzee conflict and post-conflict behavior. Uh -huh. And then with Tori Higgins, I'm studying human participants' motivations for resolving social conflicts. So what are some of the like research questions, what are some of the studies that you do here on humans that would link to chimps? So one of the things that I've become recently interested in is this idea of individual differences. Uh -huh. And so um, with humans, 
a lot of what I was researching was revealing that people have different motivations for resolving conflicts. And after a conflict of interest between two friends, for example, um, sometimes people seem very motivated to just move on, mm-hmm. um, to move forward from the conflict as quickly and as efficiently as possible, whereas others seem to want to dwell a bit more, dig a, dick, uh, a little bit deeper mm-hmm, to really mm-hmm. get at the heart of, of the matter. And mm-hmm. so um, I started looking at this in, in the context of, you know, human self-regulation and what people are motivated to do. And it's led me to some really interesting questions in the chimpanzees. So um, in the chimpanzees, what happens post-conflict? Are they motivated to approach another partner right away? Do they take a little bit more time? Mm. Do they tend to avoid? Um, And a variety of other questions that kind of stem from this underlying motivational principle. So either of those approaches, whether you wanted to, so you have a conflict with someone in your your, your roommate or your you know girlfriend or boyfriend and you um, could could be motivated just to get through it get it over with resolve it as quickly as possible and that could be kind of pathological that mm-hmm. you just can't stand it or it could be constructive let's just move on right yeah similarly with with the, the the rumination you could get you could ruminate pathologically on a conflict that happened that could be resolved. Yes. Or you could want to think more deeply about it to understand, you know, why did you do certain things? What what's going on with this relationship? Something like that. So mm-hmm. they can take either course, right? They can there, yes. there isn't a good strategy and a bad strategy. Exactly. And often what we find when it comes to these self-regulatory systems is that there is a combination of both that is necessary for successful conflict resolution. And so seeing that there were these individual differences So you mean you mean both uh, to want to move on, but also get somewhat deeply into it. Exactly. To move forward, but also move in the right direction. Uh uh And so this idea that there are just these individual differences in basic motivations allowed me to look at the chimpanzee data a little bit differently, Hmm. not necessarily looking for these same self-regulation systems of moving on or rumination, but just that at the very core, some animals might be more motivated to resolve uh-huh. and some animals may be less so. And what are some correlates of those individual differences uh-huh. that could shed light on you know, the evolution of this phenomenon in general? So correlates, so you, do you look at like personality differences in humans and or in chimps? Yes, yeah, so yeah. you could look at personality differences and then other just random variables like um, who initiated the reconciliation. So are mm-hmm. individuals who reconcile more and more likely to initiate the reconciliations that follow? Mm-hmm. It seems intuitive that, that that would be the case, but within chimpanzees, say you reconcile a lot. Right. So a very high proportion of conflicts that you have with other individuals are reconciled. Right. Does that mean that you are reconciling those conflicts or that you might just be the alpha male and all these other individuals are initiating reconciliations with you. Sure, sure. So it's sort of looking at these basic processes within an individual that are going on to help us understand motivations for conflict resolution. So uh, our my guest is uh, Christine Webb, who is a PhD student in psychology at Columbia, who studies both with Friends Wall, studies primate reconciliation processes and uh, at Columbia with Tori Higgins and in our lab uh, uh, at the International Center for Cooperation and Conflict Resolution studies human conflict dynamics and forgiveness and reconciliation dynamics. Um, so y- your approach could be characterized as an evolutionary approach, right? 
Yes, I believe. So, and, 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 and that's somewhat rare in psychology, that people think in evolutionary terms. Uh, probably less rare in primatology. But So how does, how does thinking about reconciliation processes from an evolutionary perspective, how does that work and how does that help? So I think it gives us a sense for human nature a bit more. It kind of, the way I picture it is you zoom out and you take a look at human behavior from a very basic perspective and you mm -hmm. say, what are some of the basic motives and drivers of our behavior? Uh -huh. um, at the end of the day, you know, I think what it really does is it inspires new and interesting questions. Uh -huh. So it's just another way, it's another lens, another you know, perspective looking at things to uh -huh. try and understand why we behave the way that we do. Uh -huh. So, but does it back up into, so some evolutionary psychology backs up into the basics of survival or procreation, right? Mm -hmm. That I want my genes just to live on, right? And that those are the sort of fundamental uh, drivers of some behavior. Does it, ba do you back up that far in thinking about reconciliation processes and how it connects to that? In a way, in terms of the valuable relationships hypothesis that I referred to earlier, which yeah. is that, um, primates, humans alike, tend to resolve conflicts with valued social partners. Yeah. You know, one of the mechanisms or, or functions of that is to preserve high-quality social relationships, which are the relationships that are likely to give you more resources, mm -hmm. like support in fights or food uh, or mating opportunities. Sure. And so uh, you're preserving those relationships in order to have access to those resources yourself. So in a, in a way, it does go back that far. Uh -huh. uh, although uh, I don't think that um, as a person who is, I guess, more of an evolutionary psychologist than an evolutionary biologist, uh -huh. I tend to focus more on these other, you know, not on that far back of what's I happening. See, see. Um, so you see it as context and it could be logically linked to the motives that you're more focused on. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. So tell us, so so you were talking a little bit about uh, Tori Higgins' work and his some of his theories of motivation and how that's informed this work. And you talk about, um, uh, I, I guess it's this idea of locomotion, people wanting to move through things mm -hmm. versus people that sort of sit with things. So how do you see, how, like what difference does that make in a conflict? Okay, so thinking about, well, in humans or in chimpanzees? <laughs> well, why don't we start with chimps and move to humans? Okay, so, so let's think about locomotion, I guess, at first, because I yeah. think when it comes to the chimpanzee research, I'm really um, focusing my, my efforts right now not on this cognitive piece of assessment, which is the aspect of trying to figure out what went wrong, but just on this idea of locomotion, of what animals do post-conflict. Are they motivated to reconcile? Do they move on? Are they moving forward? Uh -huh. um, and so the way that you can look at that in chimpanzees is just by looking at how active are these individuals within their social groups. Ideally, we could look at um, behavioral indices, how active they are during the day. We have some uh, you know, work in locomotion that shows us that you know, humans who are higher in locomotion tend to be more active, right? So um, physically active. Physically like active. It, it doesn't just have to be related to conflict. It can be, uh -huh. you know, at a very basic level. Uh -huh. um, and so looking at, at chimpanzees and seeing, you know, how, how socially active are they in a group? How often do they switch their, their social behaviors mm -hmm. or their behaviors mm -hmm. in general? If you're just joining us here on Late City Edition, you're listening to a conversation between Professor Peter Coleman and Christine Webb, a doctoral student in psychology here at Columbia.
Webb is discussing her work in South Africa and beyond, studying reconciliation behavior in both humans and chimpanzees. The interview is part of our monthly collaborative series with Columbia's Advanced Consortium on Cooperation, Conflict, and Complexity. You can check out past AC4 interviews on the program's website, which is ac4.ei.columbia.edu. Once again, you're listening to Late City Edition here on WKCR-FM New York. You can tune in to Late City Edition every Tuesday, Thursday, and now Monday evenings from 9 to 9.30 p.m. on 89.9 FM New York or online at wkcr.org. You can also check us out on, on Twitter. You can find us at WKCR News, and we'll be posting all of the new programming that we'll be having on air this semester. And we have a lot, I promise. So now back to our interview with AC4 director Peter Coleman and Christine Webb. Enjoy. Um, we also look at latencies a lot, so how, how fast do animals react to certain stimuli? So mm. how quick are they to um, initiate to a certain type of behavior? How quick are they to approach another animal post-conflict? Uh -huh, uh -huh. um, and, and a variety of other variables that serve as proxies for understanding locomotion. Now, I don't think that locomotion in chimpanzees looks how it does in humans uh -huh. necessarily, but the point is that it's sort of inspired a new way of, of viewing new, these data. Lens, yeah, see, yeah, definitely. Right, so, and you said earlier that what you're thinking, at least at this point, is that some kind of optimal combination of both. That you, you know, in a conflict you will probably be better off to want some combination of let's get this over with and get on with mm -hmm. things, and some delving into it and reflecting on it. Yeah. Do you, have you seen that yet in research? Have you been able to study that sort of optimal combination yet at all? Not the optimal combination part. That is definitely something that, you know, I'm looking to do next. Although I will say on a more anecdotal level, yeah. in the chimpanzees, for example, yeah. um, after you've had a bout of aggression with another individual, uh, you know, there's two choices. You can approach that individual and try to reconcile, right. or you cannot. And if you're too quick to do that, sometimes you risk attack. Mm -hmm. So some assessment, quote unquote, should be involved in that process because, mm -hmm. and this is getting back to that basic kind of biological analysis of what's going on, but what are the costs and benefits of reconciliation in this case, sure. or of attempting reconciliation? You know, the cost is I risk renewed attack. Yep. Um, the benefit would be I am opening the door for continued relationship. Uh -huh. So, um, and I think, you know, the same kind of process plays out in humans. You, you need to pick your battles in the first place. And then I also kind of think you need to pick your roots for reconciliation. You need to pick the correct strategies in order for it to be successful and the right timing. Right? Sure, sure, sure. Right. And, re and reconciliation processes help you build that allegiances, allies for future, you know, for other kinds of problems and stronger relationships. And yeah. So there's there's benefits from both perspectives. So, um, so are you circling into your dissertation research yet at this point? And like, what are the kinds of questions that you would look at? And, and do you, will your research continue to go back and forth between humans and, and primates or will it, will you take a direction? Yeah, so I'll start with the last question first because I hope that I continue to do work with both humans and chimpanzees yeah. uh, for the most part because I've found them to be very, um, I guess that sort of cross-section to be very rewarding mm -hmm. and, and it inspires lots of interesting questions. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And so, for now, my now, just to be clear about that, yeah. so because there is criticism 
Right. It, it, of course. Uh, amongst people who study primates that it's not generalizable to human beings, that human beings have different kinds of cognitive functions and values and abstract thinking and things that we don't think primates have, or at least to the degree that we have, and so generalizing from one population to the next is, you know, is problematic, they would argue. Um, but, but that's not what you're suggesting, right? Exactly. So I'm not um, trying to make that leap, at least at this stage in my career. I think my, my focus is on the questions that, you know, this interdisciplinary approach generates. And I think that there are questions that I would have never thought of, um, you know, to think of, to, to look for in, in the chimpanzees. Uh, and there's questions that I've come up with in the chimpanzees that by looking at that data that I would have never thought to investigate in humans. So it's all a matter of trying to, uh, to Use just, a different lens. Yeah, get new ideas. And, mm-hmm. and that is definitely going to be the focus for my dissertation is, is outlining um, you know, what I think these interesting perspectives are. And then several projects. So one in particular, a recent project yeah. um, that, I, that I think could probably unfold into my dissertation work, depending on how it goes. But sure. I'd like for it to be a part of it, um, are these social network analyses. Mm-hmm. So it's something that... Um, we have the data set in chimpanzees. This allows us to look at social networks because it's two groups of chimps. Um, the data was collected over nine years, and we have data on affiliation patterns. You know, not just conflicts. When you say two groups, are they are they two groups in the same space, or are they in different spaces? Separately housed. Uh-huh, yeah. Okay. Um, but we have tons of data on their social behaviors and on conflict and post-conflict behaviors, uh-huh. and. Um, Similarly, in humans, we can collect these measures, just, you know, how affiliative, you know, what are Mm -hmm. your affiliative networks, what are your conflict networks, Mm -hmm. what are your reconciliation networks? Um, And then my questions would be things at the level of the individual. So, um, you know, how does your position within a social network influence how likely you are to be a high reconciler. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, is it are, is it those individuals who are very central to a social network, which would seem to make sense, but often there's individuals on the periphery of certain social networks or or peripheral individuals who connect, uh, you know, mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. group to another group that tend to have very high rates of reconciliation. Uh-huh. So they're um, facilitators, you mean? Ex- in a way, uh-huh. yeah. And uh-huh. so you can kind of study this in in both you know humans and in other primates, okay. and then. That's at the level of the individual, but then at the level of the group, there's other interesting questions. So you can look at certain network structures, so dense networks, Mm -hmm. which are kind of all individuals interact uh, with the same other individuals consistently. And have strong relationships. And have strong bonds. um, uh, Versus more diffuse networks, which are, you know, probably individuals interacting with more different partners, Uh looser ties. Uh And seeing, you know, what types of groups are reconciliations most common in. Mm -hmm. Intuitively, we might think that dense networks would involve a lot more reconciliation because these are valuable relationships. These are close partners. Mm -hmm. But what if those networks are already so dense to the point where you don't really need reconciliation to resolve conflict Mm -hmm. because those networks aren't going anywhere, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... What if in these more diffuse networks, maybe even networks that were more recently formed, you know, you can think of it in a lot of different ways, sure. might, might reconciliations be a more um, important tool for preserving social cohesion? Sure. And it might be just that in more dense 
communities where you have very strong ties, conflicts that happen within those communities mean a very different thing than people, you know, communities that are loosely connected and they have relationships that aren't as important. Yes. Because conflict then might be, a, you know, an irritant, but not that meaningful. But if it's with your family or your, you know, strong kin, it, it, it resonates much more. And those of us that have siblings know what I'm talking about. Right? <laughs> right? Exactly. So, so it could be that they're very different animals. Um, what I think about is, is interesting in your, in your work and in DeWall's work is that a lot of conflict research that's done is done either on people, on, you know, one-to-one, how I think about conflict and approach it, or maybe in a, in a dyad, you know, so two people are negotiating. And it does feel like DeWall... Um, put that in the context of relationships, which is just beyond a one-time negotiation. It's an ongoing set of dynamics between two or more people. And, and now moving into communities and systems mm-hmm. and, and these broader networks. And I think that's so important because it's rare that a con- any kind of conflict happens just between two people and nobody else is involved, nobody else is observing, nobody else has influenced it. But it seems like this approach really lends itself to thinking about conflict dynamics and reconciliation dynamics more broadly in that more systemic way. Yeah, certainly. Uh, Another line of DeWall's research, and there's a lot of other primatologists who have focused on not only reconciliation, but on consolation behaviors. So this is sort of involving what you're talking about, because consolation would be um, a third party intervening into the post-conflict interaction. And they see that in chimps as yeah, well. Yeah, so uh-huh. it's sort of this uh, interesting... Uh, like a mediator. or In a way, right, it's, right, a, right. it's a third... Often, you know, you, you might find that it's like these younger individuals within a group uh-huh. because they're not risking attack if they approach uh-huh. um, a member of the dyad that uh-huh. got into a fight afterwards. And they might start engaging in these uh, peaceful post-conflict behaviors with the opponents or uh-huh, with one uh-huh. of the opponents maybe it's the victim maybe it's the aggressor sure. uh, and sort of serving as this um, yeah mediator in, in a way mitigator so yeah the conflict. yeah I, I think I mean I think consolation actually is defined as like third-party mediation uh-huh. um, and and that involves a very high level mental know complexity I think going on there that a lot of people would would be surprised to hear exists in chimpanzees sure very interesting how are we on time Um, okay all right Um, so uh, we'll close but is there any uh, anything else that you wanted to share about your research or about your approach that you think is again unique or provocative or um, uh, you know we'll get the phone ringing Um, Well, I do think, you know, kind of back to one of your earlier questions about the value of of this evolutionary approach, Um, you know, I think think one of the most, what people say, you know, one of the most important things about conflict resolution, like that first step is is getting people to listen. And what I've found, you know, over the last four years and even before that is that people are really curious about this evolutionary approach. It's like this inherent interest of, of humans to understand human nature um, and to understand how the human mind and human behavior evolved. So um, I think you're almost guaranteed to get people to listen 
when you talk about the evolutionary origins of conflict resolution. And so um, we're kind of set there. And so in addition to it inspiring, you know, interesting questions, I definitely think it's a way to get people interested and to engage, you know, parties sitting at a negotiation table trying to resolve conflict. It it cannot hurt to bring this perspective to Capture attention. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time and for your fascinating work, and we'll be eager to hear how things evolve. Thank you for having me. Okay, thanks much. You just heard an interview between Professor Peter Coleman and Christine Webb concerning Webb's work in South Africa, studying reconciliation behavior in both humans and chimpanzees. The interview is part of WKCR News' monthly collaboration with Columbia University's Advanced Consortium on Cooperation, Conflict, and Complexity. You can stay up to date with upcoming AC4 interviews and other programming from the news department by checking out our Twitter account, which is WKCR News. This Thursday, we'll be airing an interview with Atul Singh, who's the founder of The Fair Observer, an up-and-coming news analysis website. I'm Erica Ghetto, and it's been a pleasure to guide you through tonight's program. Check back in with the news department every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday evening from 9 to 9.30 here on WKCR-FM New York. Next up is Arts and Answers. Enjoy. For the next half hour, we provide you with Arts and Answers on WKCR-FM New York. I'm your host, Morgan Wilcock, and tonight we give you a light 